Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 280, being recorded on Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Jason is a fellow gadget addict. One of our favorite brands that we love from a consumer perspective is Anchor. And then we also spend a lot of time here on the show talking about Anchor because uh, it's a very interesting brand that is one of the few that we call kind of digitally native Amazon born. Um, so today on the show, we are very excited to welcome Eric Valines. He is the head of global communications at Anchor and is based out of sunny Seattle. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We've also been having about two months of rain, so we're living up to our our cliche. <laughs> the, for the last two months, that might have sounded bad, but being here in Chicago, I have a feeling uh, that rain is about to start looking pretty good to me. Yeah. You mean snow and cold and wind? Exactly. All of the above. Uh, although it's been pretty mild so far. Uh, Eric, before we jump into all the anchor discussions, uh, we always like to get sort of a brief background about our guests, and maybe you could tell us what your role is in Anchor. Uh, sure. So I run global communications uh, at Anchor Innovations, which is essentially a fancy way of saying public relations, uh, which in sort of corporate communications, it could be crisis, uh, corporate social responsibility, and then obviously the most exciting part of what I do, which would be product PR, dealing with the media on reviews and and getting the word out of on the cool gadgets we create. That That's awesome. So does that mean you have one of everything? I have two of everything. Um, it, it's a it's a funny story. I've 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 worked in consumer electronics for a long time, and I remember Stephen Yang, uh, who hired me personally for the role. I remember I was in China, and I said I want to make sure that I've got budget to give everyone on my team, uh, a, you know, one of the products. And he giggled, and I'm I'm <laughs> I'm absolutely serious. We all have to, you know, live it and breathe it and love it and and know the good and the bad aspects of all of our products because we're talking with the media all the time. So I kind of, I'm kind of insistent that everyone on my team has the products. And then the other part is we all, we can never run out of battery. That's like that's like a major faux pas here. If I ever hear the words even coming out of my own mouth uh, that my phone is is almost out of juice, that's super bad uh, as a charging company. That that does seem off brand. I um. I have a little bit of a fetish for your products. And the thing I've noticed is every time I have a family gathering, I get completely cleaned out. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I um, yeah, I, I didn't realize you were in such a replenishment category, but it's ended up being one <laughs> well, for me. It, it's funny because I, I started out in entertainment before I came into consumer electronics. And one of the first things I did here, because I'm just using my own family dynamics, is I have three children and and my wife, of course, is involved in this as well. And we steal each other's cables constantly, and then we <laughs> lie to each other uh, about you know. And it's gotten so bad that people take sh you know colored sharpies and and all sorts of things. But we had done a, a survey on you know what are some of the most irritating things that happen in the family, and this came in like as a top four um, of people stealing each other's charging components and then lying about it. So it's it's a national issue that we just haven't spent enough time talking about. Yeah, uh, we'll have to dedicate a whole nother show to, to solving that problem. Uh, one last product related question. Do you have a favorite anchor product? Oh, gosh. 
I, so we have these new cables that, um, so you said fetish, I don't want to take it too far, but it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's the material that's made out of is reminds me of certain things in that dominion, but it's a super soft latex like uh, cable that seems to never, uh, because of the material, it seems to never uh, uh, not up. And that's one of my favorite things. And they come in all these super cool colors. And that's really new for us. We, we've always offered two colors, a beautiful white and a beautiful black version. And so um, this year we started getting into more colors. And that's been really exciting because that's a really easy way to distinguish your product from, say, your son's product, because you can have different colors. But the material, it's really nice. I keep them in my bag. I've got them for all my products. Um, those are really cool. Um, we launched a new line of MagGo products, which uh, we have a desk version, which allows you to put your phone against and it'll, you know, magnetically charge it, but the battery is removable. So you can actually bring it with you. So it serves two purposes. And I keep that like in the kitchen. So when I'm cooking and I have my recipes, but then I can grab it and go. Um, so those are really cool. Um, but I mean, man, we, we launch new products every day. So you ask me next week, I'm going to tell you something completely different. Yeah, this is a uh, unsolicited, but my favorite is there's a little hub you guys have for the MacBook, so I can just plug in one USB C, and I've got this thing. I'm looking at it now. It looks like a mutated octopus with with 800 things poking out right. of it that I, don't, I no longer have to plug into my MacBook. So you're you're saving me a lot of ports, which I really appreciate. Yeah, as they they moved to USB C only, but you still had a myriad of other things you needed to connect to it. Yeah, the ports well, are now back. the MagSafe is a uh, now they're back. Yeah, they decided uh, they're giving you guys too much margin. So. <laughs> So now they now they have like they're they're like oh man we need to add more stuff. And of well, I've talked to a lot of pro users and they're really excited to see the HDMI cable come back. It's just a you know it's a strong connection. That cable is is, is still different, and um, sometimes it's a huge hassle putting a hub attached to the computer and then attaching your HDMI cable and everything else to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're traveling and you're popping into someone else's conference room and you never have that one little cable. Uh, so we, obviously we talk a lot about anchor on the show and, and, uh, we can just kind of stop fanboying on the, on the user side, uh, would love to hear kind of your view of the founding story of anchor. Um, you know, we, we kind of classify it as you heard as this kind of like Amazon born, uh, would love to know, uh, how you guys tell that story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I had, I had relatives that moved during the dust bowl and moved to Pasadena and built, uh, you know, a, 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 a chain of gas stations and it's this true Americana story. But what's interesting is I think Stephen Yang's story is very similar. It is that, that story of an idea and perseverance and, and, and building a global brand that people have in their purses and backpacks, even if they don't know it's anchor, there's a strong probability that it is. And that's, that's a, one is exciting. The other is a branding dilemma. But Stephen was a senior engineer um, in California at Google, and he had um, he was trying to find a, uh, uh, a a new battery for his Toshiba laptop. And as he was looking online, including Amazon and the Toshiba websites, he he realized he had sort of two choices. He was either going to buy the one from Toshiba that was super expensive, or take a chance on all of these other versions, uh, white labeled versions and unknown brands on Amazon and, um, and purchase one from there, sort of buyer beware. 
And he kind of had a light bulb moment and thought, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. Like who, who are the people that are putting these online? How have they been tested? How can I know that uh, what I'm buying is going to work with my laptop and, you know, give me a year of, of, of battery life. Long story short, he moved back to China with his uh, wife, who was then his fiance. He took a small loan from his mom and he started Anchor. And in the beginning, what Stephen did was go around to different uh, factories and, and developers and with his engineers, and they went and tested all these batteries. So in the beginning, it was a white label play. It was him finding and filtering through, I'll just say it, a lot of garbage and trying to find the absolute best um, alternatives to all of these laptop batteries. And they started selling those uh, through Amazon. And that was the first point. It was the easiest place for them and selling specifically and exclusively to the United States. A year later, it was a massive success beyond anything that he had ever imagined. And the next logical step was to take that concept and move it into mobility and start looking at mobile phones and chargers and portable batteries and all these things that were at the time really starting to come out. Um, but the big difference when he went into mobility is um, the idea was we need to get as fast out of the white labeling as we can, because we have some ideas that even these, these smaller factories and people that we're producing can are doing that we can find ways to make it better so that sort of unearthed the the world of you know contract manufacturing where their engineers were developing and designing um you know the specifics and then contracting manufacturers to develop those products and the rest as they say is history um ironically today we we um we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary actually last month and um, that's a pretty big deal. So we went from a guy um, and his wife uh, and a little mom, money from his mom to a, you know, a multi-billion dollar company um, with multiple brands and over 3000 employees all around the world. So in addition to charging, which is still a huge, huge part of our uh, DNA, We've developed a number of brands subsequently over the last three to four years, everything from robotic vacuums and, and, and future robotic products to um, home security, uh, high-end uh, true wireless headsets, smart home entertainment, uh, pet products, baby socks. I mean, like, you know, smart baby socks. I mean, just like the whole gamut. And the sort of the, the common line through all of this is that Stephen and his team are constantly looking for areas within an emerging or established consumer electronics area where they can bring value. And, you know, usually we might come in and the play might be, okay, we're going to come up with a really great product that's going to be a little lower cost. And that gets our foothold. And then the, the long-term strategy is then to leapfrog over the competitors with something truly innovative. And this is kind of a phenomenon that's worked really, really well uh, for Stephen and his engineers um, and the marketing teams and all of our salespeople around the world. Interesting. Did he have an industrial design background or he just had the pain and kind of chased it and, and created the company from there? Well, he's a, I mean, he's a true blood engineer. So, I mean, he's, he's right at that, right at the hardware level and into coding and all of that. So the industrial design aspect uh, was not his core competency. So bringing in people that, that could fill in those areas. 
and and ultimately, um, well, I say ten years later we brought color, right? But <laughs> before then, we had great devices that worked really well. Um, but we're but when we look at industrial design, I would say that you know that's what's going to propel us over the next ten years with with anchor charging. Yeah, yeah, it's been the you know I really like kind of the functional but still kind of modern kind of vibe you guys have with your products. It's it's, it's really nice. Um, is he still with the company? Is he still, oh, still yeah. involved? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I talk to him regularly. Um, he is very approachable. Um, it's interesting cause he shares, he shares his office with two other people at the company and it's kind of this kitchen table set up. He doesn't have a private office uh, because there's so much collaboration. And when you look around the company, we're all like that. And even though I'm in Seattle, uh, and, and in my office, I do the same thing with my team. We just take some long tables and we connect them up and everyone just sits on them because it's like jazz. We're just constantly, you know, coming up with ideas and talking and it's just more efficient. Uh, I do want to lobby, by the way. Uh, I feel like you have some cool colors now. You have like a like a lavender and a mint, but what you really need is like a retail geek blue, I think would be a retail geek blue. Yeah. yeah I could send you the PMS colors if that helps. Okay. Yeah. Send me the Pantone colors. Yeah, exactly. The, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we, the, I would think the colors are sort of muted. So they're, they're, um, I joke, they don't offend anyone. So they're not, they're not super striking. They're kind of muted across the the color spectrum, but so far they've been, um, they've been received really, really well. Um, there's, there's an old joke in consumer electronics that people are always screaming for color. And then when you look at the sales and you find it's the white and black that sell the most. So <laughs> it's for like sure. you need to have the color, but in the end, uh, most people end up choosing the, the kind of safer black and white. Yeah, no, I actually, I, I'll be honest, uh, uh, the style of the color is fine. And I actually think they are attractive kind of pastel colors but the it's just nice to have a diversity because i i actually have a system like i have one color for my usb-c cables oh. and one color for my lightning cables so that i can you know quickly distinguish them in my bag you're not messing around man that's, no that's i have i have a little i have a problem um so i i it's funny uh in the early days of these kind of digitally native direct-to-consumer brands there used to be this religious battle there were companies that were like uh, and the path to the customer is through Amazon. We're going to sell this stuff on Amazon. And I would characterize Anchor as the poster child for the most successful brand that was born um, by primarily making themselves available on Amazon and selling through Amazon's traffic. Um, but for every company like that, there was another company that's like, that's crazy. Amazon's going to steal your customer and knock you off. And there are all these you know, potential downfalls to Amazon and, you know, we should own the customer ourselves and we should have our own website. And so increasingly that became the Shopify contingency. And so it used to be, you know, a company was either an Amazon company or a Shopify company. Um, and more recently, I feel like the increasingly the answer is not or it's and that, you know, the, the consumers on Amazon. So you need to be on Amazon, but you also do have consumers that want to buy direct and you should have your own website. And my proof point for that is I want to say in the last year or so anchor has launched its own Shopify site. So I now can shop anchor on Amazon, but also on your own direct website. Is that like a 
Like, do you guys, did you guys have debates and conversations about that? And was that a very overt decision or is it just something where you just slapped up a Shopify site at some point and you really still think of yourself as an Amazon only company? Well, that's, there's a lot to unpack. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to find the question in that statement. Um, the, first of all, we started definitely start on Amazon. And, and one of the things I would argue about Amazon is that it is direct so whether you're selling on your website, um, you know, or you're selling on Amazon, you're ultimately selling direct um, through the Amazon platform and you're engaging with your customers and you're, you know, you're dealing with customer service and all the things that you would normally do. Um, so I think Amazon has been a great partner and it is, it continues to be definitely a big part of our DNA. But as we evolved into different regions around the world, um, you know, that there are different channels that, uh, you know, are sort of different stages of development. But the omni-channel approach, meaning, you know, in our case, Amazon, which is always a big part of us, our own website, which is great for branding and direct connection and through our retail partners. Because in the United States, we're, we're sold everywhere. We're sold at, you know, Best Buy, Walmart, Target. Um, et cetera. You can go to Media Mart overseas. Um, so we don't see ourselves as just a single channel. We definitely are see ourselves as an omni channel. But I think you know Amazon has provided us an incredible platform to launch on. Um, the you know the ability I think for a person that has a great product looking to sell something in any part of the world where Amazon is is so convenient and so easy. And, um, you know, the, the, the financial commitment, if you're just starting out and you're distributing your products, uh, the platform has evolved, it's improved, uh, and it's, it's ultimately pretty easy to get going on the platform without, you know, a tremendous amount of financial backing. Yep. And, uh, it is interesting because you, you have, you know, been, uh, a heavy practitioner on the platform from the early days. And it does feel like it's evolved a lot from your guys' perspective. Do you still feel like there's a competitive advantage in knowing the platform better than other sellers? Like it, it feels like there's a lot of levers to pull now. And I meet, you know, different companies with different levels of sophistication in their Amazon presence. Um, like is, is everybody learning all the best practices now and there's sort of parody or do you feel like you guys can still kind of win more than your fair share of eyeballs on Amazon? I mean, we said we've been doing this for, you know, for 10 years now. And so there are the there are the tools and there's the instinct and then there's the the lessons learned from the billions of mistakes that we've made along the way. And I don't you know, those things are those things are harder to, I think, grasp for people that are just coming into the space. So I, I think we absolutely have an advantage. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think it's not magic. It takes a lot of work and a lot of patience um, and a lot of observation. Um, you know, if you're putting a listing on Amazon and you're putting that listing in Italy or France or the UK or, or whatever, um, you know, simply translating that listing into the local language is just the bare minimum. I mean, you're dealing with customer service and being able to communicate uh, with customers, being able to deliver products on time being able to answer their questions, be able to take returns. And then that's, you know, even before you've really thought about marketing um, because there are something like 9 million sellers on Amazon right now. And that is a huge ocean. 
um, just filled and filled with fish and you are, you know, you're battling against the, 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 those eyeballs every day, um, organic search, um, or even direct search. You're going to, you know, if you, you go up and look for toothpaste, I mean, you know, in the search engine, you're going to see a myriad of players in there, including, you know, ones that are common brands to others that, that seem interesting. And um, what's going to draw the eyeball away from the common brand that everyone knows to the new brand? Uh, what's going to make the, the consumer just try and reach out and discover you and take that extra effort? So everyone going on to any platform um, that may deal with a bunch of brands is dealing with, you know, millions of competitors. And it's tough. Um, I think getting set up on the platform and getting started is easy, but that's, that's, you know, that's step one, but then you got to get people seeing your listings and you got to get people reading your listings and you got to get people putting stuff in their shopping cart and clicking the shopping cart and fulfilling. And then, you know, being there at the end of that process to give them great customer service in every language where you're selling that product. Cause if you can't do that, and that last part is critical you're going to get bad reviews and people don't buy products with two and sometimes even three star ratings when you're dealing with, you know, consumer electronics, they're looking for four and five. So you could have the greatest product in the world, but you could have a lot of mad consumers out there where you haven't done right by them and they're not going to give you some great star ratings and you can pretty much, you know, kiss your prosperity goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes describe it as a, a Darwinian uh, meritocracy that like, you know, if you think about old school, if you sell a product to Walmart and they give you shelf space and you screw up and run out of stock, you lose all the sales while you're out of stock. But the day you restock, you're back on the shelf. You're kind of entitled to that, that shelf position for the right. duration of a program. But you have to earn that visibility in the front of the Amazon shelf like every minute through a wide variety of best practices. And if you screw up, you fall off that shelf, and when you get back in stock, you don't get your spot back. You got to climb back up the hill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially now in today's climate, there's a lot of material shortages and and other things, and that's been you know super painful for for people across every line of business, not just consumer electronics. Um, and and that very same thing, you know, you're you're working hard to develop a a customer base, and then you don't have the materials to produce the products or the factories that you're working with. And then you can't fulfill, you've done all this great marketing, you've brought everyone to your front door and then crap, we don't have any products. And that's, it's painful to see um, for especially, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, and people new to the game because they've, they have brilliant ideas and great products and, you know, they've done an amazing job building word of mouth and it's, it's super sad uh, yeah. to see that, fail at that last step. Oh, for sure. Uh, that actually is a great segue. We're, we're recording this in mid-November. Uh, Double 11 day just happened. Black Friday is uh, next week. Um, as we sit here, I think there's something like 91 container ships off the coast of Long Beach. Are there a bunch of cool new anchor products like trapped in those boats? Um, what, what's holiday looking like for you? Are you guys well, well stocked and well positioned? I think we are with some things and we could be better in other things. I mean, again, we have the advantage of having a lot of SKUs. So um, we, I would say it's easier for us to adapt than, than others. And um, 
you know, I can say from my perspective, if I go out on a media tour in September and I show a lot of really cool gadgets and then we reach the end of October and I'm like, well, crap. So that isn't coming. We're going to, we're going to delay that because of, of something. It is what it is. We're used to it, but we have so many SKUs that, you know, we were at prime day or black Friday or, or, or cyber Monday, or just basic Christmas shopping or Hanukkah shopping. Um, we've got something. So we, we, we can adapt it. We'll get past it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, like given that you're in the consumer electronics space is, is uh, CES ordinarily uh, a big part of your marketing mix? Um, I would say it is, I think in the new world order, it isn't as important uh, for us. Um, but we, you know, we've done big booths and we've done stuff and, you know, our sales teams have, have gone out there. I think it's it's wait and see. Um, this January, we've done some some interviews with with media, and I think we found that maybe forty percent of those that normally attend are coming. Uh, the rest are waiting and seeing. Uh, we didn't do a booth this year. I've also heard from uh, our sales team that their counterparts at some of the retailers may not be coming in January as well. Um, so I don't know. Is it going to be like a bad prom where nobody dances? Um, I think we're going to have to wait and see. I think maybe for many, it's going to be a real last minute decision. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've attended like 28 CESs and I, I'm not going and <laughs> talking, uh, which I, I, I used to catch a flu at CES every single year. So it's the I'm not going. <laughs> in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Tom Clancy wrote a book where like the terrorists like spe- spread the biological weapon by disseminating it at CES just for oh, the record. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, I think people, I think you have to have a vaccination card this time around to get in. I think that's what I've heard. Um, but yeah, I mean, from point A to Z, you know, you're, there's a lot of airplanes. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. I think less people are going to come. Uh, but then the magic question is, does that kind of will they discover that the world didn't end when they didn't go? And per your point, like, does that accelerate the changing world order and, and CES becomes less important? Or, you know, is this just going to be a down year and next year they'll be back to normal? I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, there's CES is just the beginning. You've got Mobile World Congress. You've got IFA. You've got, you know, as we move into next year and, and all of them are going to have to be making those tough decisions. Um, and then I think, yeah, the repercussions of companies that didn't go and the world didn't sink, they're going to be wondering, you know, what are these, what, what's the value of these trade shows uh, to us as a business? You know, I think for us, they're valuable, you know, on the one end of the communication spectrum. It's, it's, it's super beneficial to scale our pitching by having an enormous number of people from all around the world in one spot. Um, but it's also very noisy. So, you know, you're competing with a lot of large names. Um, and we've always been very scrappy. So um, we tend to do a lot of our moving and communication uh, before CES uh, and after CES or even entirely outside of the, the, you know, the wake of any of these trade shows. So and that's that's generally how we've been successful. Pretty cool. Um, any other interesting holiday trends or, or anything you guys noticed as we've kind of gone through COVID and are kind of hopefully coming out the backside? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, not to sound boring, but, but charging is always a big thing during the holidays. People have bought their new iPhones. People are buying new MacBooks. Um, people are buying 
peripherals. Uh, and, you know, around that time, usually, you know, a couple of weeks later when they lost their cables already, uh, or, you know, they realize they want one for travel and they want one to stay home and they want one in their home office and they want one in the kitchen. So it's always a good time for us in that category. Um, so charging definitely. Uh, the other big part of our business right now um, is audio. So our Soundcore audio brand, um, we develop uh, a super popular line of true wireless headphones, the Liberty series. And um, one of the things that makes it unique is we worked with a bunch of Grammy award-winning engineers uh, to help us tune them. So they would come out of the box sounding like the mix that the engineers originally had planned versus over-based or over-troubled. Um, that's been really, really popular for us all around the world. I mean, as far as India, uh, hugely popular in the United States, the UK, Germany, uh, emerging markets. Um, that's a big thing. And then I'd say home security. That's been a big, uh, a big boon for us. Um, we launched our home security brand, Eufy, about three years ago. And, um, you know, we're developing a lot of unique products in that space that separate us from the rest. Um, for one, we don't, we don't use the cloud. When you buy the product, it's your product. Um, all of the footage is captured on a secure SD card that's integrated either into the base station or the independent products that you put outside the house, um, which is really cool. And we have millions of users around the world right now using that product because they see it not only as protecting their security, but also their privacy. Um, you'll see a lot of people do personal gifts to themselves during the holiday. So a lot of those, those, those big gifts tend to be, you know, people in a house saying, Hey, how about we get this for ourselves for Christmas? And, um, and we recently launched a super smart robotic vacuum called the X eight. It's our, uh, Yuffie, um, robotic vacuum um, that's super smart. So instead of bumping into walls and trying to figure things out, it uses uh, both visual and laser mapping and um, will actually draw up a map of your house that you can look at on your phone and see it's how it's found the most uh, ingenious way of cleaning around chairs and couches and other things and making sure that it can do everything. And then you can create zones then say, well, I, I just want to, let's stay away from the baby room because the baby's sleeping, but you can clean this zone and that zone and this zone. Um, that's been really popular. And, and we had been doing kind of lower end robotic vacuums until that point, uh, entry level. And this was one of our first push and super premium. So remember I was earlier, I was talking about that leapfrog. So in the beginning, we might find our place coming in as, um, as a lower cost alternative that still is super quality. And then with the X8, we're, we're doing the leapfrog moment and, and trying to jump past the competition with the technology. Very cool. Um, so one of the things we want to do is pivot. You guys have some other innovations that are not gadgets or charging or anything like that. Um, you guys launched a new division that both Jason and I uh, were excited to learn more about called Ocean Wing. Um, uh, my guess was it was drones, but I think that's wrong. Tell, can you tell us more about what Ocean Wing is? Yeah. So, well, I say first with the title, but when I first started working with um, uh, Anchor Innovations in the United States, it's over four years now, um, I was actually working for Ocean Wing. That was, our, that was how we presented our, our, our corporation. And the, the story is that it was Ocean Wing 
to essentially take our technology and fly across the the Pacific or Atlantic Ocean and bring it to uh, the United States. So um, when the idea came up of developing a consulting business under Anchor Innovations, um, the Ocean Wing name came up again and said, well, (laughs) it actually makes a hell of a lot more sense um, for this than it may have as our LLC in the United States when we were bringing Anchor to the United States. But long story short, um, we established in 2019, so we've been around a while. We have about 200 employees around the world. And the long and the short of it is that we're trying to take the, the decade of experience that we've uh, developed, uh, again, with all those mistakes along the way, to become you know, the $7 billion um, consumer electronics company um, and give people an option to improve their business lines. So that's from the beginning to the end of the process. And what we're looking for is companies that have already gone in and let's just say made their first 10 million and they've hit a wall because they haven't been able to expand the business or scale either through supply chain issues, through fulfillment, customer service. Um, Maybe the advertising has become uh, complicated and convoluted because they've developed so many SKUs. Uh, there's just so many problems that 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 when someone reaches a certain point and they want to get to that next ten or twenty million dollars when they're doing business, uh, it's a different skill set. You know what they've done has worked to to a certain point, and they as try as they might, they can't get past that threshold, and that's where we come in. So we're developing essential overall uh, Amazon selling and operations processes so that could be digital marketing, marketing insights. Uh, advertising management, uh, helping them develop their brand store and their product pages to customer service and relationship management, which I mentioned earlier, is critical to get those star ratings in a good place through good, authentic communication with your customers and a great experience with the product. Um, Obviously, e-commerce and all the financial systems. And then what we're dealing with a lot these days is supply chain and logistics management. So you get yourself to a certain point and there's a lot of people that are coming to us and that is the area where they're really hurting the most and they need help. They need help developing uh, new contacts, uh, new supply chain partners, or how do I deal with the issue if you're dealing with something that might spoil, like we're, we're dealing with a, a company that deals in collagen. And when something sits on one of those tankers out in the middle of the ocean for too long, when it arrives in the warehouse, it's past its fresh date. So you've just lost all that inventory. So um, each client is unique, but with this kind of broad scope of things that we can help them with, and we can help audit the business and, and, and hopefully help them transcend whatever's keeping them from moving to that next 10 and 20 and $30 million. Very interesting. So uh, going back to our earlier conversation, this is sort of a way uh, for other young young brands to uh, leverage all the expertise and skills you guys have, have built in staying on top of this ecosystem. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's an opportunity for us to take what we've learned and apply it to that young brand. I, mean, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. And it at this point, is Ocean Wing primarily focused with Amazon distribution, or would they also uh, leverage all the other uh, distribution channels that you guys have expanded into? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think our our sweet spot is definitely FBA. 
So um, specifically Amazon. Um, I, I, it's not to say that we can't help them with other things like supply chain and logistics, but for us, um, it's a recipe. And, you know, where we've had our success with the clients have come in are people that have been focused on Amazon. And then we can kind of look at what they're doing and we can uh, evolve the recipe a little bit and, and get all the ingredients in place and help them be successful because they all work together. So, but I would say Amazon is definitely our, our primary focus right now, or at least dealing with businesses that are on Amazon. That isn't to say that these businesses are solely focused Amazon because they're not, but Amazon is a key channel, especially if they're going globally. Um, and that's where we come in. Got it. And obviously over the last year, there, there's kind of been a lot of buzz around these, I'll call them FBA rollups where, you know, these these companies have raised a bunch of money and they go out and acquire brands and aggregate them and try to help them with their Amazon presence. And we've, you know, we've followed Thrashio and Perch and, and all of those is, is this kind of your version of that? Do you see your value prop being different than those other companies? Or is it just that you have sort of more experience and, and uh, um, product scale than some of these companies? And how to say this without sounding like a, like a snotty jerk. But the, you know, again, we, this is what we do. This is how we, we, we built our business. So we can take uh, the lessons learned, uh, the hard ones too, and we can apply it to our clients. And I think that alone is, is super unique that we're a company that's already done this in, you know, in spades. And now we can apply those learnings to a regular company. The other part of it is that most consultancies are focused on consulting. And, but we're a consultant that actually, you know, rolls up our sleeves and gets into the nitty gritty of the business and helps. And, and, and that's really depending on the level of the contract or the engagement, but you're not dealing a company that can come in and say some pretty words and show you a PowerPoint of what you should be doing, but you know, we've already done it and we can roll up our sleeves and get deep in there with you and help you do it or do it. Um, and then that last part in terms of supply chain and, and logistics and, you know, dealing with manufacturers around the world or suppliers and stuff. I think that's a, definitely a secret sauce because of our relationships uh, in China and around the world that we can bring to bear that others can't. So um, I'd be remiss as the entrepreneur on the show if I, I, uh, I noticed in your bio on LinkedIn that you have written a book and it's very much in my wheelhouse. Uh, it's called Get Funded. The Startup Entrepreneur's Guide to Seriously Successful Fundraising. I wish I'd had this 20 years ago, but uh, I'm glad it exists now. Uh, tell, us, tell us about this book and how it came to be. Well, my writing partner, John Biggs, is uh, a little bit of a, a media icon. We've, we've known each other for, I think I took him on a media tour maybe 12, 13 years ago. And um, we just became very good friends. And our families have subsequently traveled the world with each other and uh, we just kind of dig each other. And we, we both have the same kind of sense of humor and sensibilities. Uh, a couple of years ago, he reached out to me that he had been approached by McGraw Hill to write this book and um, thought that I could help provide sort of the second part of the book. So the book is broken out into to two parts. One is, is about financing, but written in, in such a way that whether you're trying to develop a taco truck or you know, a retail store or something else, what are the different options out there from, let's say, SBA loans to even using cryptocurrency um, to, 
to you know set up fundraising, all the way down to the meetings and how you value the company. How do you pitch people? Uh, how do you put presentations together? Um, so very, very, very. This is not. This is for the person that was really starting out with very limited knowledge on the fundraising process and how do you present yourself at the end of the day. So John really focused more on the fundraising side, and I focused more on the presentation, the skills, uh, how to pitch, how to talk, how to prepare, how to answer questions, uh, the technical aspects of of doing a presentation when everything goes wrong. Um, obviously, if I could. If I could re- rewrite a whole section uh, on this now, uh, since the the book was uh, published last year in September, it'd probably be a whole section on how to pitch during COVID because that was that was definitely not it was not a reality when we were writing the book, but it was definitely a reality by the time the book was published. And um, I hope, and we've heard uh, that people, the industry has adapted that, that, uh, investors and seed funders and people are, are hard at work, um, and investing, but, um, for the, for the person that might not have the, uh, the background in this, I still think the book, uh, for evaluating your company, getting all your ducks in a row, building your presentations and how to pitch is still very valuable. Very cool. Yeah, it's, uh, those kind of books, I think they're kind of evergreen and it's kind of a little snowball kind of effort. So, so be patient. It'll, it'll catch up. I am curious. Uh, it, it does feel like there's a little bit of a disruption in the fundraising world. Like, you know, there, for a long time, there's this kind of traditional VC path. Um, and obviously there's still a lot of money that flows through that path, but, uh, I feel like the, the role of angel investors and sort of other untraditional fundraising, um, is becoming more common than it used to be. Like, do you guys try to cover that, those kind of approaches in the book as well, or is it mostly focused on, on moving through Sand Hill Road? Well, it's, it's, we wanted it in some ways to be the antithesis of Silicon Valley. So for those people that are going down that road, you know, inevitably they're going to partner up with, um, let's say at the app generation, uh, they're going to partner up and and kind of go down that road. Our book really tries to focus everything from the pros and cons of using your own credit card, friends and family, crowdfunding, uh, as I said, SBA loans. Uh, if you're a minority or women-owned business, looking at, at options there, looking at uh, prizes and options like through FedEx has a great program for entrepreneurs and trying to cover the whole gamut um, so we could make fundraising more reasonable and open to the entrepreneur as opposed to, you know, the tech bro going to Silicon Valley and looking for, for someone's billfold. Awesome. I had one follow-up on OceanWing just to kind of clarify it for listeners. You guys are, you're kind of more in the agency side of things. You're not going out there and finding new brands that are also born on Amazon and acquiring them and, and kind of rolling them up like the, the thrashes of the world is, do I have that right? Um, we're talking about anchor innovations, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the ocean wing uh, anchor innovation side. Well, on the ocean, on the ocean wing side, it's definitely, um, consultative, but I mean, those things are going to evolve as the business comes in. And I, I don't know if you mean like financial stakes and in, in, in the business and stuff, but I mean, who knows, right? If uh, if something came along that that looked amazing and a great partnership, I'm sure we would consider that. On the anchor innovation side, I think you'll be seeing um, in you know in the future probably incubator initiatives and things like that. Um, it would be 
to me, it would be personally exciting to get involved in is, is seeking out and finding, um, you know, exciting developers all around the world. We tend to be very myopic here and look at the United States as being uh, where everything's happening. And I'd say, you know, maybe from apps and things like that might be true. But when you're looking at innovation in medicine or innovation in robotics or innovation in farm technology or, or whatever, you really have to look outside and around the world. And you're going to find that innovation in, in really unique uh, and unassuming places. Um, so as, as if we do get into more, incub- you know, becoming more of a global incubator, um, I would imagine that our direction would be all over the place and looking in places like India and Africa um, and, you know, wherever cool things are being developed. Cool. So, uh, no, almost boundless growth opportunities for you guys. It sounds like an exciting time. We're excited. Uh, well, this is certainly going to be a exciting and different holiday season. And this is going to be a great place to leave this conversation because it has happened again. We've perfectly used up our allotted time. Uh, but Eric, uh, we really appreciate your time and enjoyed uh, hearing about uh, Anchor and some of the exciting new initiatives there. Thanks, Scott. And thanks, Jason. Yeah. If anyone wanted to follow you, are you, uh, are you big on TikTok or uh, <laughs> I say it facetiously, or uh, Twitter or LinkedIn or, or do you publish there? And then where should they go for some good, uh, the latest Anchor information? Someone can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my focus, to be quite frank with you, is I'm so married to my, to my work, uh, as I tend to focus my communication through work as opposed to myself. Um, I think it's one of those things when you work in communications, you got to be careful about what you you say. So um, mostly, I'm I'm just talking about my company and the things that we do. Awesome. Uh, well, we will put a link to your LinkedIn profile in there uh, and certainly some links uh, to Anchor. And until next time, happy commercing.